Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. This week, nominations for the 96th Annual Academy Awards were announced. Lily Gladstone made history as the first Indigenous American woman nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role for her work in Killers of the Flower Moon. That film's director, Martin Scorsese, passed Steven Spielberg to become the most nominated living director of all time, picking up a 10th Best Director nomination. For the first time, three of the Best Picture nominees were directed by women, but one woman was left off the best directors list, and it was a big surprise. Greta Gerwig was not nominated for bringing Barbie to life, nor was the actor who made the plastic doll ooze humanity, Margot Robbie. Same for the other Greta, Greta Lee, who delivered a quiet and powerful performance in Past Lives. However, both Barbie and Past Lives are nominated for Best Picture. Go figure. The Color Purple was largely ignored, except for an acting nomination for Danielle Brooks, while the films Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Poor Things earned more than 10 or more nominations each. Here to break it all down for us is friend of the show, Kyle Buchanan, award season columnist for The New York Times. You can check out his recent piece, The Biggest Oscar Snubs and Surprises 2024. Kyle, I'm so happy to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Allison. Listeners, we want to hear from you. What were your reactions to the Oscar nominations this year? Anything surprise you, delight you, confuse you? What was the best movie or performance of the year that you saw? We welcome all of your Oscar reactions. Our phone lines are open. You can join us on air, 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. You may call in and talk to us, or you can text to us at that number as well. Social media is also available at all of it WNYC. So let's do a little bit of the news around the Oscars first. Kyle, this was the first Oscars where film had to meet films had to meet two of four new representation and inclusion standards in order to be nominated for best picture. Would you remind us what these requirements are? Yeah, they're they're basically meant to diversify people who work on the films behind the scenes. Certainly, it's it's clear when you watch a film uh, whether it's diverse or not, and then the academy has taken great pains to diverse to, to diversify itself. You know, it's voting membership after being criticized for Oscar so white. But these new inclusion figures are meant to sort of, you know, prod people who were maybe slower to get on board mm-hmm. uh, to meet certain guidelines and standards to be eligible for Best Picture. That might sound like a whole lot, but honestly, these guidelines aren't terribly hard to meet. You just really have to make sure that. You know, the crew is somewhat diverse, but especially, you know, that there are there's a good, robust internship program and that the publicity team is diverse. Those two things tend to be the case on most Hollywood productions. So if a movie wasn't going to make these standards, it would really have to be trying hard to avoid them. The Academy has also been making efforts to diversify and expand the membership. How can we see the effects of that work in the nominees this year? Honestly, I think you can see them most of all in the best director category. And I know people might be surprised by that at first because it seems like, you know, good old fashioned Oscar sexism to not include a director like Greta Gerwig. But what that actually is, is that the director's branch, which are the the only part of the Academy that votes on the best director category, comprises a little under 600 people, a quarter of whom are women. 
they're very international. They're also very snobby, but mostly international. <laughs> they reject Hollywood studio fare all the time. In fact, they did it just last year uh, or just two years ago with Dune, Denis mm. Villeneuve, who had directed, you know, the uh, the ever-loving heck out of that movie. Uh, uh, it's a movie that got that won many Oscars, was nominated for many, but he didn't make the best director lineup. They tend to go a little bit more highbrow, a little more artsy, and certainly a lot more international because in the Academy's haste to diversify this uh, this branch, mostly, most of all, uh, they really did, uh, you know, invite a whole lot of international auteurs. And you see that this year. Justine Triette, the sole woman in the category, she directed Anatomy of a Fall. Jonathan Glazer, The Zone of Interest. Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things. These are directors who live and work primarily in Europe. So we're we're seeing that, you know, as the Academy diversifies, the idea of what even is a worthy movie, the, the location of that is starting to move outside Hollywood. We've got a text. It's so hard to choose, but I'm so glad Past Lives was nominated. I loved that film. So this brings us to our best picture category. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, the Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, The Zone of Interest. Okay, let's start with conventional wisdom. What is the conventional wisdom as to what film will likely take this category? I mean, the conventional wisdom is very strong in this in this race. It seems like it's Oppenheimer's to lose, you know? It was an incredible year for that movie. For Barbie as well, but Oppenheimer has sort of pulled ahead when it comes to awards. It was nominated for 13 Oscars. It feels like it's Christopher Nolan's moment. I mean, Nolan is almost certain to take director. If there's any chance of an upset in Best Picture, and it's an awfully slim one, I think we might see it from a movie like The Holdovers. That's with Paul Giamatti. It's you know this very warm, well-liked comedy. And because the Oscars use what's called a preferential ballot, to determine the ultimate Best Picture winner, which is basically you rank them from one to 10. Films that appear in that number two and number three spot on almost every ballot have a shot at toppling the front runner. We've seen it happen before with Coda and The Power of the Dog. And I wonder if Oppenheimer, certainly a very well-respected film, might be slightly vulnerable to a film that just a lot of people love more. The film with a lot of critical acclaim, but maybe not as much attention as the others, is The Zone of Interest from Jonathan Glazer is up for Best Director, and the film is nominated for Best Picture. Wow, this movie. Tell us a little bit about this movie and why you think it got a Best Picture nomination. This is a very challenging Holocaust drama, Mm -hmm. and that's a genre that's already pretty challenging, but this is told from the point of view of the German family who basically lives just right over the wall from Auschwitz. And it's an incredible, unnerving work of art about how people can put just blinders on uh, to turn, you know, uh, essentially a blind eye to horrors happening literally next door. Um, It's not the sort of movie that you're likely to forget. I can already tell, Allison, it had a real impact on you. And I think the same is true of the Academy. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a very strong, very artsy, um, but one-of-a-kind film. And it, and it comes from a very unique, visionary director, Jonathan Glazer, who also did uh, Sexy Beast and Birth, um, and the really <laughs> similarly unnerving Scarlett Johansson sci-fi drama Under the Skin. 
We are talking about the Oscar nominations with Kyle Buchanan, award season columnist for The New York Times. We've got a whole bunch of people lined up on the phone who want to weigh in. We'll We'll do that right after a quick break. This is all of it. You're listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. We are discussing the Oscar nominations with Kyle Buchanan, award season columnist for The New York Times. We're also asking you to join the conversation. Let's take some calls. Travis is calling from Ridgewood. Hi, Travis. You are on the air. Yeah. Hi. How's it going? Going great. Um, I guess the one comment that I was kind of uh, chatting with uh, some friends about recently is how diverse um, and uh, your guest mentioned that already, how diverse some of the nominations look, which is pretty exciting to see. Um, and my theory, which is maybe a little bit of a conspiracy theory, is that <laughs> I, uh, I feel like it's, we're almost seeing like a post-explosion of letterbox world, um, which is just a fantastic social media-based app for similar to Goodreads for people to share films they're seeing uh, post pithy reviews and ratings and it's kind of made going to the theater or seeing these movies more of a conversation uh, for maybe a younger generation Um, Mm -hmm. and it's getting people to see these more difficult films uh, such as Zone of Interest which I thought was just fantastic and I was actually surprised to see on the Oscars which I haven't held in high regard in a long time to see it nominated in so many categories. Travis, thank you for calling in. Let's talk to Phyllis from Manhattan. Hi, Phyllis. Thanks for calling in. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm getting uh, more and more disillusioned with the Academy because they overlook extraordinary films. And one favorite film of mine was Fallen Leaves. And that, I thought, was a brilliant film. And the acting was extraordinary. And that was completely overlooked. It wasn't even in the foreign international category. And another film, um, Perfect Days, which was extraordinary, as was the acting, that was nominated in the international category. But the actor, the lead actor in that film was overlooked. And I thought both of those films were masterpieces. I saw the zone of interest. I mean, a lot of these films came out of the New York Film Society, uh, the New York Film Festival this year. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they were wonderful films, and I'm glad they were nominated. But some of these others that were overlooked were, it's it's sinful, in my my opinion. Phyllis, thanks for calling in. Jane from Montclair is someone else who wanted to shout out Perfect Days. And now let's check in with Carrie from Greenwich Village. Hi, Carrie. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I go along with Phyllis, but I also always think of Julian Barnes saying of the Booker Prizes that they're posh bingo. So <laughs> it's sort of, um, you know, one shouldn't get too upset, but I, I admit to being quite upset about all of the strangers being shut out, mm. which, I, you know, I'm surprised because it's had fantastic notices and the two main actors are incredible. And, you know, Andrew Scott, who I felt should have got Best Actor nomination. I have to think that because Coleman Domingo was nominated, you know, that would be two out of five who were playing gay men. Maybe not possible hmm. for the Oscars yet. So, but I guess I'm disappointed that in the various snubs pieces that there hasn't been that much coverage of all of us strangers. 
Carrie, thank you for pointing that out. Let's get to the best actor category. These performances, you know, something I noticed, Kyle, is three are based on real people. Killian Murphy's playing Oppenheimer, Bradley Cooper, Leonard Bernstein, Coleman Domingo, Bayard Rustin. And then Paul Giamatti and Jeffrey Wright are both playing Ken Tanker's professors. So it was so interesting. The roles are similar. I mean, is 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 there any should I be reading anything into that? Is that just a, a coincidence? Yeah, sometimes it's just some fateful synchronicity, but you might be on to something in that there are certain tropes in all of these categories that Oscar voters are maybe more partial to. Certainly, you know, we're familiar with the biopic of a great man, and there's so many in contention this year from Maestro to Rustin to Oppenheimer. Uh, that tends to be what people consider to be Oscar bait. But, you know, uh, as one of your listeners was just saying, there's this really wonderful, delicate film, All of Us Strangers. Andrew Scott, the lead of that, is really tremendous. He's doing very subtle work, Mm. not the sort of showy biographical work that tends to get recognized in this category. So even though I think almost everything that made it through this year was incredibly strong because it was such a strong year for movies, I do hope, like your listener that maybe Oscar voters can make more room for things that aren't as loud, that aren't, you know, the sort of performances that can be fact-checked against a real thing. Performances that are just simple, intimate, and moving. Here are the nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role, Annette Bening for Nyad, Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Uh, it, you know, the race is coming down to Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon and Emma Stone for Poor Things. On the surface, it looks like that way. They both won Golden Globes, both were up for SAG Awards, Stone beat Gladstone for that, for the Critics' Choice Award, I should say. Ooh, who do you think has a slight edge here? I think it's probably Lily Gladstone. I mean, we'll see how this all shakes out. But I think she's got a couple advantages. And maybe Emma Stone has one, you know, <laughs> one disadvantage that anybody else would kill to have, which is that she's already won before. Right. The Oscars can be a little parsimonious when it comes to delivering your second statuette. It really has to be the right role at the right time. Especially if you have somebody like Lily Gladstone in the mix, whose win would be utterly historic. And also, she's probably that film's best shot at a win. That is a film where, you know, if you're a big fan of it, you're probably going to put your chips on Lily to make sure that Scorsese's film does not go home empty-handed. If you'd like to join our conversation about the Oscar nominations, our phone lines are open to you, 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. You may call in and join us on air. You can also text to us at that number if you want to shout out a performance or someone you wish had been nominated or someone you're very excited that was nominated, 212-433-WNYC. Let's talk about actress in a supporting role. We have Emily Blunt for Omidimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferrar for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Divine Joy Randolph goes into this with a bunch of wins. Golden Globe, Critics' Choice Award, New York Films, Critics' Circle Award. Are those particular award shows indicators for Oscars? They're indicators of momentum. You Mm. know, whether they're small or large, it never hurts to be seen winning. And especially in the case of Divine Joy Randolph, when you're winning absolutely everything, nobody wants to be the person that's going to halt that momentum. Now, obviously, every category is susceptible to a surprise. 
In fact, America Ferreira getting into this category mm-hmm. was a bit of a surprise because she hadn't really been showing up at the award shows prior to this. But yeah, I think that if there's a, if there's any of these categories, any of these four acting races that is almost utterly locked and loaded, it's this one. Someone has texted to us, so excited for America Ferrar. Loved her since real women have curves. And as a fellow Latina and movie buff, I'm so proud and know she'd give the best speech of the night. <laughs> That's Juliana from Montclair. I'm wondering, and this might just be me being a, a, a weirdo. I couldn't think of a better word right now, Kyle. Is um, I wonder if the non-Margot Robbie nod could somehow benefit America Ferrara. I think that all of the furor over these snubs, whether it was Margot in Best Actress or Greta in Best Director, could benefit Barbie in some way. I don't know if it benefits America so much. It could somewhat benefit Ryan Gosling in Supporting Actor. Mm. I think the category where you're likeliest to see some sort of movement is in Best Adapted Screenplay, where Barbie is nominated against a whole lot of heavy hitters, including American Fiction and also the likely Best Picture winner, Oppenheimer. Usually, to get to Best Picture, you've got to win a screenplay award first. But I wonder if Academy voters might be tempted to give this to Greta Gerwig and her co-writer Noah Baumbach as sort of a make good for that big director snub. What is the controversy around Barbie being placed in the Adapted Screenplay category? Well, (laughs) you know, a lot of this comes down to strategy. And there's a lot of highly paid publicists who thought it would be a lot easier for Barbie to win in the best original screenplay. And to some extent, they have a point. The rules governing this can be kind of murky. You know, there's plenty of films that are nominated for best original screenplay that are based on, you know, real people that are essentially adaptations of real life. I guess the distinction made here is that you go into adapted screenplay if you're literally adapted from a piece of material, whether that's a magazine article, a book, or in the case of Barbie, decades of toys. Uh, It's a little complicated. The Writers Guild uh, decided that Barbie is an original screenplay, which is in line with what that campaign wanted. But we'll see, you know, if if Barbie can pull off that adapted screenplay win, that's that's pretty significant. Let's talk to Judy from Nourishell. Hi, Judy. Thanks for calling in. Hi, thank you for having me. I am disappointed that in the animated category, the film Leo, the Adam Sandler film, which I have now watched three times with my grandchildren and love it more and more each time that it wasn't included in the nominations. Thank you for calling in, Judy. Uh, this is interesting. I usually try to separate my per- this is a text, my personal favorite movies and performances from what should win or will win. The most entertaining performance came from Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things, but I think Robert Downey Jr. will win. I loved Past Lives, but can make a case for every film on the list to win Best Picture, except possibly Barbie, which was a cultural phenomenon, but not the, not the most expertly crafted film. Another one from Mark Ruffalo, one of my very favorite performances this year. Mark Ruffalo, he was hilarious without being a caricature. We're talking about the best supporting actor category. Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro, Killers of a Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Any surprises in that list for you? Well, let me push back, first of all, on the idea that Barbie is not well-crafted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I do think that some of the Oscars that Barbie has a shot at winning are in the crafts categories, you know? The costumes are incredible. The production design, wow. Uh, 
Um, you know, there were even some categories where I would have thought it could be nominated, like cinematography, because it conjures up a look that is really specific. You know, in my line of work, I always hear it from people where they're saying, well, how come, you know, my favorite movie of the year, something like, say, Spider-Man No Way Home, why wasn't that nominated for Best Picture? You know, do the Oscars hate blockbuster movies? And no, I think the, the Oscars love blockbuster movies if they're made at a certain level of craft. Mm. Barbie is. Last year, Top Gun Maverick was. So was Avatar The Way of Water. You know, then this year, in, in addition to Barbie, we also have the very expensive Oppenheimer. These are films made by people at the top of their game. They look that way. I mean, I definitely know that people, you know, uh, some people might push back on the idea of Barbie as an Oscar-worthy film, but there is no denying the level of craftsmanship that went into it. The supporting actor category, and thank you for for addressing that. The supporting actor category, <laughs> you know, a lot of these roles are funny roles. I mean, they're comedic roles, greatly. Brian Gosling, Mark Ruffalo, Sterling K. Brown. Um, you know, historically, the Academy, not necessarily good at recognizing comedic performances. Why do you think so many funny supporting actor nominations this year? I think they have a lot of trouble recognizing comedy when it comes to best picture and the lead performances. But the definition of a good supporting actor is a scene stealer, right? It's somebody where you're excited to see them show up. Maybe they're giving a different energy than other people in that cast. And I think that's why comedy does tend to do a little bit better in the supporting categories. I mean, you know, one of the most iconic wins of all time, Marissa Tomei, Best Supporting Actress, she was up against a lot, a whole lot of mm. British grand dames and period films. And she delivered such a funny performance in that movie felt like a breath of, breath of fresh air, not just in the movie, but in the category. So I'll be interested to see, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., who is historically a very funny actor, delivering mm. a very serious performance in Oppenheimer. Is it possible that Ryan Gosling, you know, the scene-stealing Ken from Barbie, could beat him? Let's talk to Pamela from Westchester Online 4, who has been reading my mind. Hi, Pamela. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Allison. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, yes, so... I guess we're similarly minded when we are shocked that Todd Haynes got overlooked for best director or best supporting actor at the very least. So this May, December, it came out hot initially, Kyle. Everyone was talking about Charles Melton for best supporting actor. He did just such a tremendous job. Why do you think that May, December, starring Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, uh, didn't come up with much with anything? This one wounds me, Allison. This really wounds I'm me. This you. was one of my favorite films last year. And I thought it was going to be a breakthrough for the director, Todd Haynes. His, uh, his film, Carol, came very close to being a major breakthrough for him, was nominated for many Oscars, just not the big ones. And I thought that this one was connecting with the mainstream in a way that I have not seen his films do. I wonder if, because it's sort of wickedly satirical about self-involved actors, yeah. the actors branch <laughs> couldn't take that joke. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly Natalie Portman, I think, is doing some of the very best work of his career of her career. Thought Julianne Moore at least had a strong shot. Charles Melton, it's a terrific breakthrough performance for this actor who was, you know, previously best known for Riverdale. The only thing that I think was holding Charles Melton back, besides, you know, there's the just the general inability of the film to catch on in the way they wanted, is that the Oscars have this weird antipathy towards young, handsome men. 
They really want men to be a little more grizzled, to have paid their dues more, to honestly be on the north side of forty before they'll take you seriously and give you that Oscar recognition. I mean, just even looking at who's nominated, you know, from、mm. from the men this year. You know they're all over forty, whereas so many of the women, in fact, most of the women nominated across the lead and supporting categories are forty and under. They don't have that problem when it comes to young ingenues, but they sure do have it when it comes to young men. Last moments, you were at the Golden Globes for the host's opening monologue, which seemed to go very poorly. Was it true? It was、That's、that bad. The- okay, yes. Moving on then.、Um, Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> that was that was terrible. I mean.、Uh, th- You know, Jimmy Kimmel has already done this job a couple times hosting the Oscars, but after Joe Coy's dire monologue at the Golden Globes, there is nowhere to go but up. Someone just texted, "Justice for young handsome men." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, society is so cruel to young handsome men. They 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 deserve a little bit of justice. Now the the Oscars are maybe the only place where they don't succeed. But hey, listen, we gotta inspire the other young handsome men out there and. Who are they to look to if not Oscar nominees? <laughs> Kyle Buchanan is the award season columnist for the New York Times. As always, thanks for the time, Kyle. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. And that is all of it for today. Tomorrow on the show, it is our listening party live with Future Islands. They rocked the WNYC green space. You'll get to hear the live performance as well as our chat with all four members of the band. That is happening tomorrow. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening, and I do appreciate you. And I'll meet you back here next time with Future Islands.